and welcome to Documented the Podcast. Today we have Dana Duff on our little show. A big show. It's not little. It's a big one. It's a big show. You guys are all sharing this and getting subscribers. I'm just kidding. That's getting And five-star reviews. Five-star reviews. And here we go. So Dana is a mom, awesome mom, wife, a member of our church here in Prescott, Arizona. And she has just been a blessing to all of us and... We have her here to tell us a little bit about her life and her story. So, Dana, tell us a little bit about how you grew up and uh, just a little bit of background for the audience. Okay. Thanks for having me here. So, I grew up in Lake Havasu in a good home. Uh, my dad had a business, a successful business in our town. Uh, we, we went to church three times a week, but behind the scenes, my parents were always fighting. There was always... We'd go to church on Sunday morning, and there was just screaming and yelling until it was time to go back to church on Sunday night. So that was hard. I loved school. I loved my sister, and and just played. And so it was. I had a. I would say I had a happy childhood, up until I was eleven. My parents finally got a divorce. I was actually happy at first. I, it, my initial reaction was happy because there was so much fighting all the time that I thought it would be a relief from the fighting. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think initially I was happy, but I remember just, I was very worried about my parents. I was just always so worried about my dad's happiness. And it's kind of weird to think about, you know, an 11 year old, my main concern was their well, their well-being and their mm -hmm. happiness. And I was- So you almost had the role of the parent instead of the kid yeah and my mom was she talked to me about everything and so I that probably wasn't the healthiest mm -hmm. thing I just kind of carried the burden of are they going to be okay and so we ended up moving to another city my mom shortly after that got remarried a year later to somebody that she met from another church in North Carolina and so we ended up moving there. Were you close to your stepdad? Was that, were you happy about that or? He, he was a really good man. He mm -hmm. still is, he's a really good man. They've been married for 20 years, yeah. saved and he loves Jesus. He's kind to my mom and, and he's just kind to us. I think it was hard for us to accept him. You know, we, I think it was just hard for us to accept him as our, like an authority figure and I started a new school there and just the struggle of being a new kid and my parents just divorcing and moving across the country. I just did the best I could. I loved Jesus. I really actually got saved the first time when I was five and I loved Jesus. I remember up until the point, probably around 15 is when I started to struggle and want to fit in at school I remember I was like I'd snuck out of my house and for the first time when I was 15 and so when that happened my my mom didn't know what to do I ran away for three days and so she sent me to live with my dad and he put me in a Christian private school and I was there living with him for about six months and when I was living there he passed away uh, in a car accident on Father's Day I was actually visiting Angie and Liddell for Liddell's birthday party in Bullhead, and that's I was visiting in Bullhead when my dad passed away in a car accident. We were actually up in a, at the top of a Laughlin Casino in a big suite, 
and Pastor Lobato and uh, Larry Lau came and told me while we were up there celebrating her birthday. And so um, my friends, they really, um, sorry. No, you're good. It's okay. So um, they just, the Lobatos and and my friends, they just, that summer I stayed, I ended up, I was only supposed to be there for the weekend. I ended up staying the whole summer with Angie. They just really like loved me and they, we just had fun. We we would just Mm -hmm. stay up all night bowling, you know, be out like on the lake till the sun came up. Just, we were 15, I was 15, we were teenagers and we were just having fun and we just had fun and it just, it was like the best medicine and, and then we would go to church and just praise God. And, you know, we just, mm-hmm. it was, it was awesome. And so, uh, Angie, she's always been a, a good friend to me. And Angie became my best friend there. And so she was there during that time of my life. And then we moved away and I'd always come back and visit every summer. Up until I was 18, I definitely was sneaking out of my window at night and just really struggling to do right. And I remember growing up loving Jesus. Mm -hmm. It was hard. I knew I was doing wrong. Going through pain is not an excuse, but I was going through pain also wanting to fit in. And so I started to party at a young age. I think at 16, I got a fake ID and I started going to like clubs downtown with my friend. And by the time I was 18, I moved out of my house to actually move back to Phoenix with my best friend from private Christian school. And started a life of just partying and sin. I, I, I had good jobs. I would had good sales jobs. I worked hard, but I don't really know what I was trying to achieve. I think I was just running from the pain in my heart and just trying to, I don't know what I was trying to achieve exactly, but I was, and so I, I lived that life. Uh, mm-hmm. It started off kind of glamorous. Mm-hmm. Me and my friend, we had jobs at the the most glamorous clubs in Scottsdale. I wanted to be accepted, mm-hmm. and um, I I wanted to like, yeah, I wanted to live a glamorous life. I was attracted to all that stuff. I loved the glamour and to beauty, like vanity, the vanity of life. You know, I had friends who were saved back home in Bullhead, and were mm-hmm. and I was you know in contact with them, and I loved them, and they were my best friends. But I was off in this other city where I didn't really have any safe friends. and So that's a big factor. So when you would go see your friends in Bullhead, would, is that when you would get your heart right temporarily? Yeah, I would, yeah exactly. Okay. And, and then I would try to continue it out in North Carolina, but it didn't yeah. ever really stick. So I moved to, to Phoenix when I was 18. And then when I was 20, I was talking to Angie Mazan and um, she was like, "Come to Bullhead. We're, we'll come get you. Come get you. We're gonna help you." I had gotten a bad relationship, and so I moved there and started to live for God. And the guy followed me there, and he pretended to be saved and everything. And he was on drugs, and um, you know, I, I really did desire to. I, I wanted to be loved and accepted, and I did. I wanted attention from, I wanted to be loved by a man. Was he your first boyfriend? Yeah, I think he was my first, serious yeah. Serious boyfriend, mm-hmm. okay. And, and I wasn't saved when I met him. And so he followed me there, and then he was just buying me gifts and just you know, telling me that he wanted to, you know, all this stuff, and I fell for it, and um, I ended up just being feeling having so much condemnation. I'm not like these 
people. I can't be a Christian. I, I, I'm a failure at being a Christian. I can't, I've failed and I, and I cannot, I've tried to do live this life and I can't. And that's when I finally moved away when I was, when I was, uh, I was almost 21, left Bullhead. I had just got a word from Pastor John Overson too, right before he said that he dedicated me as a baby. And he's like, God doesn't want you, he doesn't want you to have hurt in your life. He doesn't, he doesn't want you to experience any more pain. Like don't, you know, stay safe basically. And I, and I left anyways. And, um, I, so I would fluctuate a lot because I knew the truth and I loved Jesus as a little girl. And so I would, I knew about sin and I knew about hell. And so I would, I would try really hard to be, live right. And then I would backslide and I would pray the sinner's prayer and I would backslide and I would pray and I would backslide and it would just go back and forth, back and forth. And so I feel like I finally made a decision. I'm just going to be the best sinner that I can be. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, this is what I'm going to do. I'm never going to turn back and I'm going to give this my all because I've tried giving that my all and I'm really bad at being a Christian, I felt like. And wow. so I decided I'm just going to be the best sinner. And yeah. I also had feeling of I had suicidal feelings as well. I I would never do something like that, but I just felt like, I just felt like I wouldn't mind if I died. Like it was just kind of like, I I really am not good at all this life, you know, and and I just felt like a a failure and like very, just suicidal and just Mm -hmm. kind of reckless, I would say. Mm And so um, that was just kind of the beginning. And I think when I went back to Phoenix, it was just before I would, I was trying really hard to, you know, I was making, I was a top salesperson in the nation for T-Mobile. I was, I was an excellent salesperson. And I was, you know, I I worked out, I was eating healthy. I was trying to like be successful. Um, And so after I, after all that happened at Bullhead and I just basically was like, I'm all in, I'm just going to be the best sinner. I don't, I just kind of started to, be destructive and when it came to I wasn't just drinking a little bit I was drinking a lot just had kind of given up in some ways but that guy found me again I liked doing pills here and there but then he talked me into trying heroin because he he didn't have any more pills and he's like you should just try this and and uh, he shot me up and I stopped breathing and he was afraid to call the police because he didn't want to get arrested and so he's just running around and I guess the drug dealer showed up and actually gave me mouth to mouth to help me to start breathing again and I when I woke up from all that because I I didn't remember any of it um, I just remember I felt so good I was like wow I want to do that again and that was my reaction to that and so that was the beginning of my drug addiction. And that was about a month after I, a uh, month or two after I left Bullhead. I was using for about a year. And I ended up in the hospital. And I was in the hospital for a couple of months. And what prayed. put you in the hospital? I had endocarditis. They, I got some heart, my heart valve. Something happened with my heart valve. I, um, it was basically like my one of my valves stopped pumping or it was related to the drug use and and so he's not proud of it you know but um so she came in with her mother-in-law and um they prayed for me 
the doctor told me that, um, you know, you can still live, you know, probably have 10 years to live. And I had really damaged my heart somehow with, mm. with intravenous, with IV drug use. And um, I got out of the hospital and I needed more drugs. Like I, I was a full-blown addict and I, my dad was an addict before he got saved. And, and so I think it was probably, you know, something that's hereditary. It was a very, it's all in my dad's side of the family, very addictive uh, family. And so I came out of the hospital after being there for two months. And the first thing I, I had to do was find more drugs. And um, wow. I was really bound. So my sister came and got me out of that situation I was in with all those people. And brought me to Las Vegas. When I got to Vegas, I found a doctor who he subscribed me however many pills I wanted pretty much. And, and I felt like that was safer. I'm not using IV drugs. I'm on Xanax and Adderall and, you know, pain pills and I, alcohol. And I, I feel like I'm maintaining my life pretty good. I, I, I was like very to justify that. A little yeah. Bit more. And mm-hmm. it was like safer. And so, mm-hmm. um, and I was, you know, really into like vanity, and so I, I met a lady who was, she basically like I got paid to be in different clubs, like when the celebrities were there, we would be at their table to kind of make it all look look good, mm-hmm. so that for all the other club goers who are paying members, so we just basically got paid to be there and um, party with these people, and I felt like I was really had arrived like this is what I was waiting for you know my whole life like I was not my whole life but my whole mm-hmm. center life I um you know I was parting with Paris Hilton and all, different celebrities with you know just at the traveling to Ibiza and New York and Chicago and and just this on this party circuit with celebrities and with very wealthy people and I felt like wow this is great but I was high the whole time I probably did that for about a year or so and and then after I stopped working for her I got into some bad relationships and living in Las Vegas for about seven years and just floating there I didn't really have absolutely no purpose to my life except to get high and it was fun for a season, you know, it was exciting. And I was, I thought it was great for a moment, for a quick, just a brief moment. And then was it just that you went and got another job? I, I met a guy, I met a new guy and I ended up moving to California and it was my addiction again that broke that relationship up. I ended up um, in California, I started to use harder drugs and then I uh, we broke up I was there for about a year I came back to Vegas again because I had a place there and I had been in and out of relationships I remember one guy I I was with I remember just like looking down in my arms and and wishing that I and I wished that I had a baby that looked like us and um but it was like I wasn't that girl you know and um I didn't know how to be that girl because I was, I was an addict in a partier, you know, and um, 
I remember I wanted to marry that guy in California. And, uh, but I, I couldn't, I couldn't even, you know, just, I was an addict. So we broke up and you have this desire in your heart to get married and do you think that came from your time of being yeah, saved? Yeah, I, I always wanted to be a mom when I was a little girl. Mm-hmm. That's all I, I wanted to be. So now your sin's kind of catching up with you where you're like, it was fun, but it's keeping you from yeah. like a desire that you have exactly. deep in your heart. Yeah, and, and I'm failing at being a sinner too. I'm just <laughs> failing hardcore at it. I can't, you know, I, my addictions are, are have me so bound I remember I was I woke up at one point and like the the depth of my of my um, addictions and I saw like this massive man in my room. It was like I knew it was a demon and I knew it was the one that had me bound. <laughs> it was like in armor and he was as he was as tall as my room and he was just like standing there like guarding me. It was, he was like my captor <laughs> and um, I. You know, and I would also wake up sometimes. Sometimes I would wake up from dreams of the, of the Lobatos, my the pastor and their family in Bullhead, praying and speaking in tongues with their arms lifted high. And I and I shot up and I'm like, they're praying for me. I I knew it. I could. I woke up and I knew it. And I found out later on that that was true. <laughs> um, and uh, so, I ended up just falling deep into addiction and there's no winning at that life so basically um after i got out of another abusive relationship i i met john so i was uh, was at a room and i invited this guy i knew from california to come down to to party with me and him and his friend walked in and i (laughs) And I, I was like, wow, they're tall. <laughs> I'm sure I'm thinking that. And um, I, I went to lunch with the guy I invited, and I couldn't stop thinking about his friend John. Like, I, like man, he's just so nice and cute. And, um, it was like an instant. Like, we just, like, obviously we're not saved. And I was, I was helping him to, he was a drug dealer from Washington. And um, I was helping him to send pills back, and I, I had, he came there for connections. And anyways, um, I just remember thinking, like, I feel like I've always known you. And we just, like, we became, like, instant friends, and and I loved him <laughs> pretty right away. I don't know why it's weird. <laughs> and I was always kind of a maintainer of my lifestyle. I was able to just kind of, like, maintain it. But he was very extreme, and so he was, like, just hardcore. And he was a hardcore addict, too. And so um, we started, like, doing crime together, and um, we were together for about a year. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, like, things were so bad. And it, got, it was, like, things were bad before, but it just got, like, whoa, bad. Mm-hmm. Like, we're, we literally were homeless and I had never been homeless before. I'm like carless, and I had never been carless before. And we're. Do you do you mind telling us the story behind that a little bit? Like, do you remember getting evicted, or like, what happened to your car? It's just hard. Like, you can't hold on to anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's people it's that so we fast. would meet that you know they were like, 
million that you they really were they had everything and you get into lifestyle and you lose everything everybody it's mm-hmm. just it's almost mm-hmm. like inevitable wow. and so i mean he had a car and he had a house and he he lost everything would you say it's because your addiction is just the only thing you care about yeah now i remember one time we i like i said i always had a car throughout my whole all, the whole time as a, as a sinner and when I met him like one time we were walking so much I remember our feet were swollen with blisters it was and we're just like it, it's just the craziest thing we we ended up in the ghetto like looking for drugs someone pulled a gun on me because <laughs> I was like she stole my twenty dollars and it was just we it was it was a quick visit we thought oh that'd be a good idea let's go to the ghetto and to try to find some drugs. <laughs> that was a really bad idea <laughs> really dangerous I have a great idea guys field trip <laughs> So me and John, we were trying to send pills back, but he also had a gambling habit that he picked up in Las Vegas. I loved gambling too, actually. Um, it went hand in hand with the, the with meth and heroin. For a long time, I was just doing pills and alcohol, and then I got into the hard drugs again, and we're just we're smoking these drugs. And then we'd go to the casino and gamble. So he was supposed to be sending my, his this money back to Washington, and he ended up gambling it all away, and he didn't know what to do. And I was like... I have an idea. I know some people who they print money. And so um, we tried it and it worked. And so we just got really good at it. We didn't want to just stay in one city. So we started passing these bills. So we buy small item things and get all this cash back from these $100 bills that we were making. And um, so we, we didn't want to just stay in one city and get recognized. So we started going up the coast of California um, and up to Washington just doing this and we got caught in California and um, they let him go so we had this genius idea that we're gonna travel around the country and pass these bills and and live your best life live our best life we thought we were gonna get rich doing this (laughs) it's really embarrassing the way people think when they're high but um, so we're we're going up to California and there was points where we were I don't even know how we ended up Carlos and homeless in California. This one time, John just completely lost it and thought I was trying to turn him in or something. I don't know. The paranoia. Yeah, he was paranoid and um, he like ran away from me and I lost him. So now I'm alone for a whole day. But the weirdest thing is he just felt like somebody told him to get on the bus at this certain time. He got off and I was there and. I know this is weird, but I really feel like God brought us together back then and kept us together because a lot of things happened like that. We ended up getting, we're like, okay, let's get to Washington. He has friends and family there. We can have a place to stay. He's got great friends that will take us in. And so we had been together for about eight months at this time, just total reckless, crazy. I mean, he actually was keeping his life pretty together before he met me. We both were kind of maintaining our a party lifestyle until we met each other for some reason we just exploded. exploded and we it was like just craziness and so I remember I loved him though and I would have like these visions that because he used to be a successful real estate agent and um he had he owned a home he was he had a car he had you know he's a smart guy and very handsome and and I I, I really loved him, and I remember just having visions, like wishing we had a house and thinking like of a white picket fence. I know it sounds so tacky, but I literally like would had that in my head, like a house with this fence, and you know maybe he'd get a real estate license and we'd have a baby. But it was like I couldn't even 
keep myself from nodding out and he would be like why do you always have to nod out you look so ugly when you do that because I was I on the hair when you nod out and and uh it would it broke my heart because I I wanted him to think I was beautiful and I wanted you know to be better and more for him but I couldn't and uh, I remember I started searching for like rehabs maybe a rehab that would take me and I went and we fought a lot too like crazy fights just screaming at each other and yelling and um, one night we're screaming at each other and and I said I said you know I know this couple who they used to fight all the time and they there's a couple from the bullhead church and they used to do drugs and they used, and she, I was like they used to fight all the time and they accepted Jesus in their heart and and when they did um, they stopped fighting and they got married and they have a great relationship and he's like huh and he's like well maybe we should pray and I was like okay well you pray and he's like no, I don't know how to pray. You pray. And, he, and I started <laughs> praying. And, and actually, he told me the story later. I forgot it. And I was like, Lord God. And he's like, man, I never heard anyone pray like that before. He was raised Mormon. Mm-hmm. That night, after I prayed that prayer, he got arrested. So he got arrested that night, like an hour after I prayed for God's help. I just prayed that God would help us. And um, I just want to take it back a quick notch. Uh, a month before we got to Washington, we were walking down the streets in California, homeless, and I wa- we're walking by a church, and I heard this, like, music coming out. It was actually a Hispanic church, Hispanic songs, but they were the songs we used to sing as a little girl in my church. And I was like, John, just go to the Denny's. I'll meet you there. And I just sat in front of this church, and I just listened to them singing, and I just wept. And I was just weeping and crying because I missed God. I, like, I missed his presence. And I, I, I it was like he was drawing me. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize it then, but it was like, I, I, he was like, John's like, what are you doing? I was like, I just, I was listening to that music. And I never told him that I was raised a Christian. I never told him about my background. So anyway, so we prayed that night and he got arrested and put in jail. He was, he ended up serving, I think he was in jail for two months. He got caught with the counterfeit bills and a printer in our back of our car and the whole thing. And so um, drugs in the car and all that. And so they let me go. They always let me go whenever we got caught together. Two nights later, I got caught shoplifting at a Walmart. I went to jail for two weeks. And I was, I remember being in there and I just was like so empty. And I just, oh my gosh, it was like, it just hit me. Like I am worthless. I am such a failure. I I hated myself. I would look in the mirror and I would think I was so ugly. And like, I just, I was was in the utmost despair. I mean, there was just no, there was nothing left to give. Like, this is who I am now. I'm an addict who's in and out of jail. And I, I just can't, there's nothing that I can do about it. And I've tried and you know, I remember I was just so empty inside too. I, I, and I believed in everything. I was very open to anything spiritual during those years of being backslidden. I was into horoscopes and astrology and anything spiritual, tarot cards, because I think I was hungry for the spiritual things that I, mm-hmm. that I had when I was a little girl. I, at a, I was filled with the Holy Ghost at eight years old. You know, I loved God. And so it was like, I was just trying to fill myself with these things that are spiritual. And so I believed in aliens. It was just anything, you know, you pass my way, I'll believe it. Just tell me it. It's like, I'll, I'll, I'll take it, whatever, you know. Yeah. And um, 
I know it's kind of weird to talk about the alien thing, but some of the girls in the in the cell were watching this alien show, and I was like, sure, yeah, whatever. I, that, that could make sense. Yeah. <laughs> I could accept that. That sounds reasonable. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was in my cell, and I remember it was like after, you know, I finally had detoxed, went through the detox stuff, and... And I was like, wow, just a shell of a person, nothing in left inside of me. And I felt the most empty I'd ever felt in my whole life. And um, I remember I used to love to sing as a little girl <laughs> to Jesus, to God. You know, I loved to sing to him. And I loved it because I loved feeling his presence. And so I, I was in my cell alone all day, and I, and I was like, I wanted to sing and I started singing and it was like there was nothing there it was like the most empty just like dead it was like nothing and I thought well I know I've done this a million times before but um this has never worked before but let me just pray that prayer and I I prayed I asked God to forgive me of my sins and to come into my heart I was reading this book in my cell, just about just the worst kind of book about drugs, and I don't even know. It was just a gangster book. All of a sudden, I, I was like, prayed that prayer, and went back to reading my book, and I and I heard this voice say, "Stop reading that book," and I'm like, that was weird. <laughs> Whoa! And I literally threw the book across my cell, and I was like, God came into my heart at that moment, and it was. That was March 31st of 2015, and I, it, it was like, it was, it was like, it pretty instant, just mm-hmm. filled me with life, and this joy, and I just started reading this other book that I randomly picked up about, about, it was just the salvation story, but broke down so simply, it was like, I just understood it, it was like, there, there's a he- heaven and a hell, and Jesus came to die for me, and he came to set me free and there's an enemy of my soul and i'm it was just all so simple and it was like i want to make heaven my home and it was before i felt like it was like i was trying to please my friends and and my parents and the church and it all of a sudden i realized like i this is what life is all about it's about making heaven my home and that god came to die for me and I couldn't believe I was saved. It was like, wow. <laughs> it was like I, I had nothing. I had a, not a phone. I didn't have clothes. I had nothing. But I was so happy. Like, I had so much joy. And I, and I just, like, called my mom. And I was like, Mom, I got saved. Like, I got really saved. And, like, I started reading my Bible. And it was like, all came to life. And in a moment, too, it was like, just, it's kind of silly, but it's like, aliens aren't real. (laughs) And it's like, none of that stuff is real. And even though I grew up hearing it, the whole, you know, I knew it in my head, it's like all went to my heart. And it's like, this is everything. This is what's real. And this is what life is all about. I was there for two weeks. And I, I, or it was 20 days actually. And so it was like after a week, I think I was in there for a week. After being in there for a week, I got saved. And it was like, it was just crazy. Like I just spent the whole day just reading my Bible. And I started like, there was stuff in there that was kind of spiritual. I, I felt like attacked one night, I like rebuked it and left. It was like, I just was like saved. And 
I, and it was like Jesus met me there and it wasn't religion. It wasn't somebody telling me what I should do. It was like, I'm having a relationship with my creator. And it was like, I knew that I had worth. I knew that I was loved by him. That when I looked at myself in the mirror, it took time because I had a lot of self-hatred, mm-hmm. but I, it, it was like, I started to see what he sees in me, what God sees in me. And and that came from a lot of Bible reading too, because it would come back on me. I was like, I would look, you know, throughout, you know, the beginning, like for six months, I'd like look in the mirror and think I hate myself. And I, I would read my Bible and it was like, no, like I have worth in Christ. And so I got out of there and I, I moved, I got a Greyhound ticket. My sister got me a Greyhound ticket. It was the worst experience in my life, four days on a bus <laughs> to North Carolina. I didn't tell my mom I was coming because the last time I had visited her, they said we would appreciate if you didn't ever come back because it was really bad. And uh, I showed up there, and, and I probably shouldn't have, but I they weren't home that night, so I, I, I went in and took a bath, <laughs> her bath. I was there when she got home, and, and, uh, and I was like, Mom, I'm sorry. And, like, I'm really sorry, you know. I got saved. I got really, really saved. And I'm sorry. And, you know, she just hugged me and she prayed over me and uh, she let me live with her for six months in her spare bedroom. And it was really hard at first. I didn't have a phone. I had the clothes on my back and I was a true prodigal. I mean, I was, it was not easy. I'll tell you in the beginning, it was not because you're you've really messed up a lot of stuff and so it was a struggle but it was like I just thought when I left that jail cell actually I I was crying it because I didn't want to get I didn't want to leave jail because I thought I don't want to lose what I got because I I I went back and forth so much growing up that I I just thought if I leave here I'm gonna lose it again and I just thought if I just commit to pray and read my bible every day I won't ever lose this and um I've done that for six years, and that's what's, you know, it's my rock. Like, I, that's what has kept me and keeps keeping me, you know, is that commitment I made when I left there. It's a struggle when you first get saved, but I it just made some commitments. I'm never going to miss church when the doors are open. I'm never going to start my day without prayer and Bible reading. And I'm, an, I'm, I'm so glad I'm going to heaven. Like, all I knew is that it was hard, but I was so glad to be saved. And I didn't care. I didn't really feel like I needed much more than that or deserved much more than that. Like I was like, if I die in the spare bedroom of my mom's bedroom, my mom's house as an old lady, I, you know, <laughs> it's probably what I deserve. <laughs> uh, but I, uh, it was hard at first because uh, I would say I struggled with cigarettes at first and uh, even food. Like I, it was like, it's kind of this tendency it's hard to explain but you want to like fill yourself with something Mm -hmm. and so it was not gone right away but I actually figured out because I just felt so proud of myself for being saved I just kind of think I had to like do all the extra stuff (laughs) (laughs) and uh I my parents were doing that three-day fast and I was like well maybe I should join them and I couldn't shake these cigarettes I would cry to God every day to help me and I fasted with them and it it broke during that fast and so I realized the power of fasting and now I I'm an advocate (laughs) (laughs) and uh so I I've I've watched God do a lot through fasting and prayer I got a waitressing job I was making like crap money 
and my sister's like, hey, you should come to Las Vegas. And, you know, I just been taking pictures with people who make a thousand dollars a day. And, you know, I'm like, well, I talked to my pastor. I was like, hey, I think this is a good idea. I can get a car that way I can make more money and, and I can have a better job. And he's like, he didn't tell me not to. And I was like praying, praying. And, and I was like, God, you have to speak to me. And during church that night, he's like, I delivered you from Egypt. Why would you go back there? And so uh, I ended up shortly after making a decision not to go and still just struggling at this job, making no money. Uh, I, but I decided, no, I'm going to live for God. And uh, I got, I got a letter in the mail saying that I'm inheriting, like I inherited over six figures. Amazing. <laughs> and where, where's John? He, he was in jail for two months and I'm starting to write him letters, just telling him my testimony, you gotta get saved. And I'm just like so excited about like being saved. It's like the most amazing thing. I just, it was like, I can't believe this is real. Like, this is so cool. And I, and every time, so he was in there for two months and he'd call me when he got out and I was like, you got to get saved. Like, and he's like, I'm going to stop calling her because all she does is talk about God every time. And so I was like, <laughs> uh, and then, but he was still calling me here and there. And, and I'm like, this guy is not getting it. He is trying to, he's like not changing and I got to cut him off. So I, it was another decision I made. I blocked all the numbers that he had that was not, so I did that for God too. It was mm-hmm. like, I had to make a decision. And so, um, that was after three months. And so I, I didn't talk to him for three months. So I've been saved for three months to kind of talking off and on. And then three months of not talking to him at all. And all of a sudden there's this heaviness. Um, I'm getting ready for church and I'm like, start crying for him and I'm like God you have to save him I don't you just have to save him I'm like crying I don't even know why and I I don't know what's going on but like I'm praying that God saves him happen and then within a two-week span I start praying for him a lot Mm -hmm. and I'm like God on a Wednesday night I'm like God just have him call me tomorrow I I prayed at the altar I was like can you just have him call me tomorrow I don't care if he's in jail or if he's in the hospital just have him call me and uh he, I hadn't heard from him in three months. He called me the next morning at 10 in the morning. And uh, he, so what happened is in that two-week period, he had gone back to Vegas. He ended up with a really bad group of people. He ended up in the tunnels, living in the underground tunnels. And he never used to shoot drugs. He started shooting drugs right about the time I started crying for him. And in that two-week span, he got witnessed to three times by strangers, three separate occasions. Oh <laughs> and they were, like, trying to tell him to you know, pray with him and take him to church. He was like, it's weird, you know? And so he was sitting in that tunnel thinking, I'm going to die. Like, this is it. This is the end of my life. I've tried everything. I'm, this is where I'm going to die. Like, this is the end. And, uh, something went into his head called Dana. And so even though, you know, I had cut him off and I told him not to ever call me again. And, and, uh, he found a star, he didn't have cell service. So he found a Starbucks with Wi-Fi and he called me and I was like, Oh my gosh, do you know what I just prayed? And he's like, yeah, I'm going to try to find a rehab. I'm like, no, you need God. And he said, do you want God to help you? And he thought for a moment, he said, yes. And, uh, I, I fasted until I got him a Greyhound ticket and I fast cause I hadn't got my inheritance yet. <laughs> so I was still waitressing. Yeah. He needed to go on the Greyhound yeah. bus. Well, yeah. he needed to go through that. Yeah. So he, I fasted until he got on that bus cause I know that life and how anything is going to try to keep him. And so he got on it and he came and he, he came on a Tuesday, spent the night at my mom's house. I was living with my sister and, and we brought him to church on Wednesday night. He 
powerfully got saved and uh, delivered from his addictions. And uh, my pastor's like, you know, I'd rather him live with me. I think that's more acceptable. My pastor Mm -hmm. brought him in to live with him for two months. He had a brand new baby, a wife. He brought this drug addict to live with him. And uh, he's just woke him up the next morning at five in the morning, take him to labor ready, prayer and then labor ready. And um, he got um, traffic for $10 an hour and just doing everything the pastor told him to do. I mean, you need to do this, this and this. And John's like, okay, whatever you say, I'm whatever you say. Like he was just completely humble and surrendered and, and just, you know, he allowed my pastor to just teach him. We ended up getting married eight months later that's that was how we got saved and um it's been amazing it's just so crazy like how fast god has built our life into something that we don't deserve